Oh, <clears throat> life hacks are great. They help us live easier lives. And I've actually learned a lot of life hacks over my lifetime, but I've also learned a couple preaching hacks on how to do it. And one in particular stands out, probably among all the others, because early on in learning how to teach, I naturally, like anyone in a public setting, thought a lot about you and what you thought about the message. Specifically, what you thought about how it was presented. Was it compelling? Was there a funny story in there? Was it engaging? And so I thought a lot about what you thought of me. I thought a lot about what you thought of it. Did you like it? Could you critique it? How would you critique it? How could it become better? And so I thought a lot about that. And then there was a moment where I realized that the life hack that I needed was to allow whatever message it was to affect me and then what would happen as a result is I would care less about what you thought of me or even what you thought of it, and I'd care a lot more of how you live in light of it tomorrow. And that frees me up as a communicator because I don't have to just try to impress you anymore. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> but I do really care about your tomorrow because I know how this message has changed me, and I want it for you. It's the difference between when something really great happens to you and, and, it, and it changes you or you get this life hack, you're like, you have to know about this. That's how I feel every time I stand up here to preach. It's just, you have to know this. It really frees you up. And by the way, the mes this message you have to know. And when it changes me, I find, in, I find in myself that I begin to care more about you. In fact, whenever I have friends that say, how can I pray for you specifically for this weekend? My constant answer is, can you pray that I would just have a love for them? I ask that of a lot of my friends that I would really love you, not care to be loved by you. And it's so freeing. Because uh, when you care, it just changes how it's presented, right? I remember I spoke a couple months ago at a high school. It was a high school, middle school, and I gave the chapel at the high school. And then there was this lunch gap, and then I was going to do the chapel at the middle school. But I was really excited because right in the middle, I got to have lunch with a very dear friend of mine. The only problem was that we didn't really keep track of time. So I finished the high school message. Then I went and had lunch, and I was really engaged in what I was talking about with my friend. And then suddenly there was a moment I was like, what time is it? And, he, and my friend goes, oh, you got to go. And so we both sprint over to the middle school chapel. As I walk in the back of the chapel, the guy doing the announcements is like, finally. And I'm like, so I run onto the stage. But here's the problem. I got onto the stage. I was like, and there's all these middle school students looking at me, and I couldn't remember what I was going to be saying. I was like, what's the, I don't even know what the passage is. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Um, it was different than the high school. Is it different than the high school? I can't remember. And they're all just staring at me awkwardly. <laughs> and I was like, I need a curly-haired boy. I need a curly-haired boy. Give me a curly-haired boy. And all these points, students just point to this one kid who's like, meh, it's me. You know, and I look over at the kid, and I was like, hold on a second. Let me just look at you. And I looked at the curly-haired boy, and I was like, okay, now I care. Because I have a curly-haired boy. And one day he's going to be in middle school, and he's going to be sitting in a little audience like that, and then someone's going to get on the stage. And I hope they care about him and how he lives in light of the truth. And Willow, that's the book of Proverbs. It's God who cares about you, and not just about you, he cares about every aspect of your life. And so he addresses it, and that's this series. Him addressing friendships, power of words even, or money, how you deal with all these things, it's because he cares about you. And he cares about how you live. That's this series, Life Hacks, How We Can Live Well. 
And how do I know that that's what it's about? How do I know? Well, because that's where it begins. Proverbs chapter one, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can read along with me. If not, uh, man, pay attention. Because <clears throat> this is for you. It's for you. From a God who cares about you. It says this. First, it tells us right away who it's written by and then what it's written for. The Proverbs of Solomon. Mind you, this is the wisest man in the ancient world. The reason we know that is from 1 Kings. These are from the wisest man in the ancient world, son of David, inspired by God, by the way, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction. In fact, this is one of three wisdom literature books that we have in the Old Testament. You have, you know, obviously the book of Proverbs, you have Ecclesiastes, and then you have the book of Job. These are the three wisdom literatures, and the goal would be for wisdom and instruction. For understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learnings and let the discerning get guidance for understanding Proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. You catch that in verse five. Let the wise listen and add to their learnings. Wise people don't think they've already arrived at wisdom. They're always seeking it. In fact, that's one of the markers of someone who is wise is that they don't think they've already arrived there. They're just constantly longing for more. And we have really good news because in James chapter one, verse five, it basically says this. Do you want wisdom? Good. Here you go. Ask for it. God will give it without finding fault. So wisdom is actually possible for you. And if you think that you are wise, a marker of that is whether or not you're continuing to seek it. Wisdom is all throughout the entire book. And here's where we're headed today. We're going to do a, basically a very quick overview of problems. And basically what we'll find is it's about wisdom for everyday living. Wisdom, so the overview of Proverbs. Then we're going to see the beginning of it, the beginning of wisdom. And then we'll land with one wisdom for today. Does that sound good? Yeah, me and that guy. Yeah, 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 that sounds good. Sounds good to me. Here we go. <clears throat> overview of wisdom. So if the Proverbs is about wisdom, we have to know what it is. And here's what I want to tell you. Wisdom is not just knowledge, although knowledge is the beginning of it. It's not just knowledge. It's knowing what to do with knowledge. I once heard it said, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Some of you are like, I didn't even know that. I know. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. <laughs> it's not just knowing true things. It's knowing what to do with it. Because here's the deal. You can know a lot of scripture, can't you? In fact, I'm going to read the next few verses I'm going to read. You likely already know. But the question is, do you know what to do with it? And are you living in light of it? You can know a lot of things and not live like it's true. So wisdom is not just knowledge, it's applied knowledge for the 35,000 choices on average you have every single day. 35,000, I mean, even as I stand here, it's like, should I put my hand up right here? I'm not sure, I could put it back down, and then I just get to make decisions. Do I want to look to my right? Constant. Wisdom's for that. So how do we live really well with all those choices? Because our choices in our life will make or break us. How in the world do we make good choices? That's why we have Proverbs. 
That's why we have wisdom literature. See, Proverbs is to know what to do in the 80% of situations and life choices in which sometimes the moral rules don't even apply. But as we go throughout this series, I have to warn you about something. Proverbs offer principles, not promises. It's pretty important to know that. Principles, which are key, but not promises. So for instance, in living in an agricultural society, if you plant a garden, here's what it means to have a principle. If you plant a garden, you'll most likely eat. If you foolishly stay in bed all day, eating might be a little less likely that day. That's what I mean by principle. There's things, there's, and this is reap and sow language all throughout the book of Proverbs. There's if you do this, then this. But you have to know it's a principle. It's what God's saying. This is my intention. And if you live with the grain of how I intended, you're going to notice life to go smooth. But if you live foolishly against the grain, you're living against God's best intention for you. And so that's why wisdom or why these proverbs are written. And it's tempting though to think that it's a formula, but the truth is there's no X plus Y equals Z to a happy life. Why? Because anyone that has cultivated a garden or tried to raise a child knows that you can do everything right. And there's no guarantee. You can't just stare at them and go, grow And sometimes you have to wait. Do you trust the gardener? So the overview of Proverbs is about wisdom. So where does wisdom begin? Ah, glad you asked in your brain. Chapter 1, verse 7 says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Later on in Proverbs chapter 9, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But I love that it even begins by going, knowledge is significant too. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the start, but friends, it's not the end. We can't make everything about knowledge, but we need to have it too. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Now, as I say the word Proverbs, there's tons of cultures, especially ancient cultures, that have wisdom literature, but the distinction of Proverbs and the biblical wisdom literature is the source, and the source is found in verse 7, the fear of the Lord. The Lord is the source of all wisdom, and so what the Proverbs are doing is they're outlining God's intention for human flourishing. What you'll notice as we go throughout it is it's not just wisdom, it's also wisdom personified. You'll hear the word I when it's referencing wisdom, or you'll hear it referred to as lady wisdom. What he longs for is that it would be personified, not just in God to reveal his character, but that it will also be personified in you. Because when you live foolishly, you travel against the grain of God's intention for you. So it says the fear of the Lord because the Lord is the source of biblical wisdom. But it doesn't just say the Lord. It says this, verse 7, the fear of the Lord. Now, this one has been extremely confusing for me my entire life. Because I hear all the time so many scriptures about not fearing, right? We hear this all over the place. I mean, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, don't live in fear. Don't worry. And so maybe I wonder if there's a difference. And here it's one of the only times where it seems like this fear concept leads to something incredibly positive. And so there's two ways to approach fear in the Bible. And I'm going to argue that it's the second. The first one is that you're scared that something might happen. And for a lot of us, when we bring up the word fear, that's, that's how we're describing it. This like fear and anxiety over what could happen. 
but there's a second way that we can approach fear, and it's this. A holy awe and reverence leading to a wonder, leading to so fearing that you're afraid to even dishonor who it is you're fearful of. You don't want to dishonor, you don't want to offend, but it's this fear that can happen. Tim Keller put it this way, if you fear the Lord, you won't be afraid of anything else. And you also won't be enslaved by anything else. So how do we get it? Well, Psalm 130 verse 4 talks about this reverence when it says this. But with you, speaking of God, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. What the psalmist is getting at is the more you experience grace, the more you will fear the Lord appropriately. And then the more that you fear the Lord appropriately, you'll see and actually find all the ways that you fall short, which will then lead you back to grace. And then the more that you actually experience grace, the more that you'll fear the Lord. And then the more that you fear the Lord, you'll see your need for grace. And it becomes this cycle that leads us toward further humility because we'll find where we're actually saved, not just once, but continually. Because we're saved by a free grace, yes, but also a costly one. And what that costly grace does is it doesn't just forgive us, it actually frees us to desire something different. To desire that, that we would please him, not because we have to, but because we want to. He can shift that desire in us and it begins with fear of the Lord. And who is this Lord that we fear? Also in the book of Proverbs, specifically the first few chapters, we see that the Lord is referred to with a title, a relational name that is the most common name referred to God in all of scripture. All of scripture, God is referred to in all sorts of names. I mean, you have Lord, omniscient, absolute, loving, sovereign, righteous. These are just like a few of his attributes. You have holy, creator, judge, and there's one title above all the others. In fact, it's 189 times throughout scripture. And it's this one. And this is the relational beginning of the book of Proverbs. It's God as Father. As I sat with that beginning these first few chapters, I'm like, I, 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 I kind of want to just focus on like the fact that God cares. But then what God does is he says, let me tell you how I care. I care as a father. But here's the deal. That's a loaded term, isn't it? And I felt real sensitive bringing it up. But he does. And he wants to, you to know him as such. To have true knowledge of what a good father is. But I realize a lot of us are bringing a whole lot of baggage into that term, aren't we? Because for some, what this term father brings up, here's what it brings up. Abandonment. Absence, harshness, or maybe for you it was a performance for love. If you performed, then you received love. Disappointment. Now I recognize there are a few that for you, by the grace of God, Father means safety and playfulness and attentiveness. Some of you, it's a mixed bag. 
For me, it's become all sorts of things. I have two incredible fathers. My dad and my father-in-law are incredible. And my husband was an incredible father. And so now in the term father, that was always this really positive one. And I felt like God was just so kind. Now it's wrapped up in grief. And I know that I'm not alone. So I do wonder, what do you bring to the term? Here's what God graciously did to me. And someone asked me my favorite part of the message. This is it. Here's what God did is that he graciously reminded me, not just of absence, of my boy's father. He actually brought to mind something really neat. He brought to mind all the father figures that have filled in the gaps. Dan Marshman, Fred Fate, Steve Gross, Jeff Marshman, Tim Tyler, Rich Baker, Nick Benoit, Paul Johnson, Jeff Fernandez, Jacob, Randy Bement, Dave, Corey, Brent, the Eskridges, Daniel, Joel, Trevor, Wes, George, and Kevin, who have demonstrated fatherhood to my boys beautifully. If you're a man standing in this room, would you stand to your feet? If you're a man, stand to your feet. Here's what I want to tell you. Your role in your families is so significant. I've heard the idea that the only place you're irreplaceable is in your home. You can be replaced everywhere else. And I not, don't just want to say it about your family and your home. I want to say this as someone that's needed the church family to step in. Men, your role is significant in your home and your role is significant in this building. Your role is significant on your campus. Your role is significant in this church. You have the potential of reflecting a good, perfect, heavenly father. And in all the ways you fall short, you can run to grace because you have a fear of the Lord that leads you to find forgiveness in your time of need that humbles you, which looks a lot more like Jesus. And this world needs Jesus. And although people may not read their Bibles, they're reading your lives. They're reading you at work. They're reading you. Men, it is an honor to, as a female, speak to all of you and let you know what you do really matters. And the cycle, maybe, that you've been a part of generationally can transform through you. God wants to do that work in you, not just because you're a father or because you might become one, but because you have one who is perfect. So let me pray over you, fathers. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would father these men. I thank you for the unique roles you've given them in their lives. I thank you for this invitation to stand up and reflect you and to be humbled by all the ways that we don't. Lord, would you give them the fear of the Lord that we might become a wise church who doesn't just know the truth but lives in light of it and has freedom in all the ways we fall short because we know you as our perfect heavenly father. We love you. And all God's children and sons said, Amen. <clears throat> that was cool. <clears throat> now, while we all can reflect the heart of our Father, God is not a reflection of our earthly dads. He is the perfection of our earthly dads. Is that good news for anyone else this morning?
When I think of father, my first picture goes to Luke 15 and Jesus telling the story of a father. You know it well, you've heard it before. You have the son, right? Remember the son, the prodigal son who has no fear of his father, of his power, of his influence. And so what does he do? He disrespects, that's where you can know he doesn't have fear of the Lord because he disrespects him. He asks for his inheritance early, basically looking at his dad and saying, you're dead to me. And he runs off lives recklessly, burns through the inheritance that his father graciously gave him early, finds himself in a mess, and then longing to become a slave, even as low as a pig, as long as he can come home. And if you know the story, you know what happens. He becomes aware of his father again. He becomes aware of his father's power, and what is it? It's the fear and awe of his father's position and potential to restore. And he doesn't expect to be restored much. He expects to be restored as a servant. So he has now a fear of the Lord. And what the fear of the Lord, or in this case, his dad does, is it turns him. And I love what we see about our heavenly father. While the son doesn't expect acceptance because he knows what he's done, he is aware of the father's power. And when the father sees his son, he can't even contain himself. He doesn't wait until the son gets to him. He meets him there first. And where's there? Wherever it was that he turned. And he meets them there. And it's shocking, especially in that first century, that this father is running to his son, embracing his son, kissing his son, and then eventually throwing a party for his son. And if you've read it, I can actually relate a little less to the son, more to the older brother. Anyone else? The one who's been living obediently, but not had the relationship with the father that's been possible the whole time. But the younger son receives the party. <laughs> And Jesus, received, Jesus reveals a father that not only ensures our future with an inheritance, it also reveals a, a father who has an, in the words of my brother-in-law, a father who has the uncontainable delight in his children. Do you know that about your heavenly father? When he looks at you, he's not disappointed. He delights in you. And some of you, that's even a weird word to hear because your heart is hard. God delights in you. <laughs> and isn't that kind of what we all long for? To be delighted in? Women are like, yes. Guys are like, I don't know. <laughs> yes. I think it's what we really deep down, maybe if we don't even know that we want, I know that it's what we need. And Jesus reveals in this parable the story of a father like that, who not just loves, who not just chases down, who not just pursues, but also forgives, who's powerful. A father who's not just seeking our best, he's, ready for this, loving us at our worst. That's our heavenly father. That's the father who in Proverbs is urging us, verse eight, listen, my son. And he says it multiple times in just the first two chapters, listen, my boy. Listen, I am a father who is wildly powerful and intimately tender. I delight in you and I'm powerful. I am strong and loving. He's both. And so how do we live wisely in light of having a heavenly father? The passage of Proverbs goes on. Verse chapter three, we'll jump in and we're gonna be going through the rest in the future weeks to come, but one of my favorite two verses in the entire book of Proverbs 
It's likely one that you know, which I kind of like that. Because wisdom is not just knowing it. Here's what it says. Trust in the Lord, chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. With all your heart. Anyone else feel like they're reading a Hallmark card? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Don't hear it like a Hallmark card. Here's why. Because it has an edge to it. Because it understands that it is possible for you to believe in God, to pray, and even to obey, but then practically trust someone else or something else like a job for your safety and for your security, for you to feel delighted in. And the urgency behind his words are trust in the Lord. And how I have been receiving this intro is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Here's what's freeing for me. It's this, I no longer have to trust in myself. And neither do you. Anyone else feel like they trust the Lord for salvation, but the relational drama is up to them? Anyone else feel like they can trust the Lord for him to move them, do mighty works and mighty acts, but in the meantime, I have to sanctify myself, and therefore, if I do my spiritual disciplines, then I grow closer, and if I don't, then I don't. No, 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 your spiritual disciplines aren't even up to you. He puts in us a desire to even want to, but if you're wondering, where do I start? Okay, I want wisdom, I wanna live like this is true, I wanna trust the Lord with my heart, I wanna lean not on my own understanding, I wanna have his understanding because he understands everything. Can I, can I just make a quick shout out? Rooted is a great idea. 3,000 people, I believe, already went through it at this church, and we're going to be doing it again. Why? Because we can become disciplined people who don't just know a verse. They live like it's true. They trust in the Lord with all their heart. They don't lean. And I like this picture of leaning. It feels a lot more. Every once in a while during the message, I'll like, you know, teach. And then there's times it's like, I can just trust. You know what you don't have to lean on? your understanding of what God is doing. Lean not on your own understanding. Rather, in all your ways, submit to him. And that's the series. In your friendships, submit to him. With your money, submit to him. And he will make your path straight. He will do it. I think we worry too much. And by we, I mean I worry a lot about understanding everything. In fact, I think there's kind of this, it's become a Christian cliche, this term, um, I'm just trying to understand fill in the blank. Have you said it? If not, you'll catch yourself saying it this week. I'm just, trying, I'm just trying to understand. I think it's a Christian cliche, socially acceptable way of saying this. I'm just trying to control my life. <laughs> I don't think people would be okay with us saying, I'm trying to control my life. They'd be like, no, but you know what they're okay with? I'm just trying to figure it all out. Friends, you don't have to. What if you didn't have to? That's the invitation here. Rather, trust in the Lord. And if you don't, ask for more faith to trust him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not in your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. What's this path? I remember hearing a worship leader from Willow say, basically what we do in a worship service, what we do in the path of life is we just get from here to there. That's it. That's life. It's getting from here to there. That's why, that's why in the beginning of that, these verses it goes like, trust the Lord with all your heart. Why? Because your heart's right here. God's not going to meet you at a fake version of yourself that's further along. That's why you have to show up as you are. Here 
to there. And I can tell you a little bit about life there. Where we're going, where we're headed, there is life with God, where we see him unveiled. Life with God, where not only do we see him, we see ourselves differently too. Where we are free to be fully exposed because we know how fully loved we are. That's there. And the crazy thing is that life with God, fully loved, fully exposed, is not just for there. It's what God wants to drive to get you from here to move in the right direction. And I believe it starts with a heavenly father's perspective on you. My brother-in-law had a was going through this one specific thing. He was preparing this big, important thing that he was going to deliver. And the way he described it, he said, you know, I was in a real funk or in a dark place. And he said, uh, it was in this moment that in total surprise, his 10-year-old, my nephew Rowan, <laughs> walks up and says, dad, let's go sit on the couch. Now, the funny part about this is Rowan wanted to play therapist to his dad, who happens to be a psychologist. <laughs> And Rowan loves this game. <laughs> and he said to him, Dad, you want to tell me what's going on? <laughs> My brother-in-law said, Rowan, do you ever have those moments where you feel like the whole team's depending on you and you're afraid you're going to let them down? Rowan says, actually, yeah, this one time, Steve interrupts, no, 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 it's, this one's about me. <laughs> and Rowan smiled. And then Rowan asked this, and you cannot make this stuff up. How do you think God feels about you, Dad, right now? See, because how we feel about ourselves is not how God feels about us. The path God is leading you toward, this life with him, is fully known, fully loved, abundant life. The Puritan preacher John Flavel said it this way, remember that this God in whose hands are all creatures is your father. And he's much more tender of you than you are of you or can be of yourself. In your best moments of being compassionate and gentle with yourself, God is more. So I leave you with the knowledge that you already know God loves you and invite you to receive with wisdom, knowing what to do with it, receive it, and live like it's true. And I want to end in response by giving you uh, one practice, one painting from my brother Steve, and one prayer. First, a practice. How do we live like this is true? It's great to say trust in the Lord. Good luck. For me, I'm very forgetful, so I have little triggers all over the place. Things like I actually stop at stop signs. Is that a California thing or is that Illinois too? Is it you guys too? <laughs> I stop at them, and every time I do, I'm reminded I don't have to hurry through this life because you cannot display the fruit of the Spirit and live hurried. You can't. So I stop at stop signs, just to remember. Every time I floss, which is really often, <laughs> I pray for my friends. I just am such a forgetful person that I have to put these things in my day, but the one I want to share with you this morning is this. The way that I trust in the Lord with all my heart is this. Every time I push a button to turn on my coffee maker, it's a trigger. And I encourage you just this week, let's try it together. For me, what I do is this. I just present myself to the Lord. Lord, here I am. You know my heart perfectly. In fact, you're praying for it. So what are you praying or what am I thinking? And I allow my mind to wander and then I talk to God about that. That's it. I turn it on. I open my heart 
and I talk with God there. Why? Because where we're headed, the path God's taking us on, is doing all of life with him, fully known, fully loved, fully accepted. So why not live like it's true in the meantime? First, the practice. Second, a painting. This painting is from Rembrandt, and it's called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And in it, you can see the prodigal son experience the tender embrace of his father while the older son watches seated nearby. Henry Nouwen wrote an entire book about this image. The one thing he reflects on is the hands of the father. Rembrandt was intentional to paint two very different hands of the father, perhaps indicating two sides to his fatherhood. One is stronger, muscular even. It's the part of God that is strong and capable enough to get involved in our lives, direct our future. the fear of the Lord. The other hand is more soft, tender. It's the gently compassionate side of the Father. And so Henry Nouwen writes this. The true center of Rembrandt's painting is the hands of the Father. On them all light is concentrated. On them the eyes of the bystanders are focused. In them mercy becomes flesh. Upon them forgiveness reconciliation and healing come together. And through them, not only the tired son, but the worn out father find their rest. From that moment, I first saw the poster, Henry writes, I felt drawn to those hands. I did not fully understand why, but gradually over the years, I've come to know those hands. They've held me from the hour of my conception. They've welcomed me at my birth, held me close to my mother's breast, fed me and kept me warm. They have protected me in times of danger and consoled me in times of grief. They have waved me goodbye and welcomed me back. Those hands are God's hands. They are also the hands of my parents, teachers, friends, healers, and all those who God has given me to remind me how safely I am held. A practice, a painting, lastly a prayer. Turn to the Father. Maybe you're the younger prodigal son at the end of yourself, and maybe, I wonder if you're here listening in, I wonder if no one knows that that's actually true about you. You've been hiding behind a whole lot else, including maybe even kindness. Come home. Turn. Maybe you're the older brother who's had a hard heart in all of your obedience. Embrace the father, he's close. Or maybe you're so burdened by what you carry because of the word Father. Can we here at Willow bring you to him? Can we invite you during this next worship song to come forward and allow people to lay their hands on you and pray for you? Willow, may you become more and more familiar with the strong and tender hands of our Heavenly Father as you fear the Lord and pursue wisdom. Receive grace. Trust in him, not yourself, with everything that's in your heart. Open it every morning at coffee. Lean not on your own understanding because you don't have to figure it out. God understands. And in all your ways, submit to him. Our strong and tender heavenly father will direct your path. He can handle it and he cares. Pray with me. Father God, I pray right now you would put a prompting on people to move. Whether it's in their hearts right now, ask
ask for help to become the type of father that, they, that you want for them to become, to help. And God, I know with this prayer team, it's so intimidating to ask for help, but I just wanna tell you, God, those are the people I'm most compelled by. The ones that know that they need help and they know where to go. Move them. I pray for there to be people that would remember this morning because they moved just like the prodigal son. The fear of the Lord turned him, moved him. So Lord, would you move us? Have your way in us as we worship, as we come forward to receive prayer during the worship. God, would it all be to you as we trust you further? Give us greater faith to trust you more, we pray. And all God's children said in unison. Amen.